Towards the end of this episode, I share what I'm currently doing for iodine supplementation. And here I have moved over to a whole food source for iodine, uh, both in the kelp tablet and also in the seaweed that I talk about. However, I wanted to clarify on the kelp tablet because I made a misstatement. It's not 150 mgs per tablet. It's 150 micrograms of iodine per tablet, so 100% RDA. And the other thing, this episode really felt like it needed some disclaimers. So there's one up front here, and there's also one towards the end of the episode. Be sure to listen all the way through because we talk about what's coming up next week. And this is especially, you'll likely find it especially valuable if you have any travel planned during the holidays. Hope you enjoy. The information provided in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant as a substitute for diagnosis, treatment, or advice from your healthcare professionals. Welcome to The Alchemy of Things, a podcast diving deep into topics like skincare, holistic living, and the energy that connects us all. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator of Rain Organica, where you'll find skincare you can take with you anywhere. When I was first diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, also known as autoimmune, underactive or hypothyroiditis back in 2018, I was referred to an endocrinologist who recommended that I stop taking iodine. Back then, I was on a daily multivitamin that contained iodine. I stopped taking that multivitamin and switched over to one that didn't contain iodine. And beyond that, I really didn't adjust my diet very much. In case you're wondering, common food sources of iodine are fish and shellfish, seaweed, and dairy. Within about a month just of making that change in multivitamin, I developed a painful breast cyst. It turns out your thyroid isn't the only organ in your body that needs iodine. Before we get into what what other organs in your body need iodine, let's talk about the elephant in the room. This news may come to you in direct opposition to what you're hearing from your own doctor. For some reason, I didn't put two and two together until a couple of months ago when it finally clicked for me as I was listening to another podcast about the thyroid gland and iodine. I nearly fell out of my chair when I heard this doctor that was being interviewed propose a restricted iodine intake for people with autoimmune conditions, specifically autoimmune thyroid conditions and specifically hypothyroidism. This doctor went on to say that thyroid sequ- that your thyroid gland basically sequesters iodine and this makes it important to be sure that you're not getting too much. I guess when my endocrinologist prescribed a low iodine diet. I was thinking this was more as a way to reduce thyroid, like my thyroid's function and thereby help reduce the body's attack on it rather than necessarily like, I don't know what I was thinking. But anyways, hearing this view that iodine is sequestered by your thyroid and that you need to tightly regulate it was in direct contradiction to everything that I'd read. Because 
here's the rest of the story. Other halogens like chlorine from chlorinated water and fluorine from fluoridated water. In other words, if you're drinking tap water in the U.S., you're seeing these compounds on a daily basis. If you're drinking bottled water, you're likely seeing at least one of these on a daily basis. Even if you're drinking water from a non-chlorinated source and a non-fluorinated source, so if you're lucky enough to have your own well, if you're getting salt in your diet, which is sodium chloride, the chloride ion in the salt competes with iodine in your body. And because chlorine and fluorine are both stronger halogens, they displace iodine in your body. Perchlorate, which is a water-soluble compound that's used in fertilizers, is a competitive inhibitor of the iodide sodium symporter, which concentrates iodine in thyroid cells. Perchlorate has 30 times stronger affinity for the iodide sodium symporter than iodine does. In the thyroid, iodine is incorporated into the structure of T3 and T4 thyroid hormones. The thyroid isn't the only organ that expresses iodine sodium symporters. Breast tissue, prostate, gastric mucosa, skin, specifically the epidermis here, salivary glands, the cervix, and the choroid plexus within the brain also concentrate iodine. Here's how sufficient levels of iodine is related to health in each of these organs that we just discussed. So for iodine in your breast, a large body of scientific literature shows that iodine can reverse, yes, you heard me right, reverse fibrocystic breast disease and also prevent and treat breast cancer. While some of these studies are simply looking at the correlation between dietary iodine and the incidence of breast cancer, studies are abundant that evaluate the effects of iodine in breast cancer outcomes in animal models, in human breast cancer cells in petri dishes, and also in human clinical trials. One study that was published late in 2016 shows compelling results that iodine inhibits growth of breast cancer cells and induces breast cancer cell death. This study was conducted in vitro, so in a petri dish. At least three human clinical trials show that fibrocystic breast tissue is reduced or eliminated by iodine supplementation, and researchers believe that fibrocystic breast disease is a precursor to breast cancer. While the why behind why iodine is so beneficial for breast health is still being researched, iodine seems to play a multifunctional role in maintaining healthy breasts by, number one, desensitizing estrogen receptors in the breast, number two, reducing estrogen production in overactive ovaries, three, increasing progesterone production. There are, so while we have talked quite a bit about phytoestrogens in the show. We haven't talked a lot about phytoprogesterones. Sweet, um, why am I having such a hard time with this? Uh, wild yam, sweet, maybe it's, okay, yeah, wild yam for sure is a phytoprogesterone. Um, 
yams in general may be also I'm not I, I need to double check that it however like the it's the number of plants that are phytoprogesterones there's that's a lot shorter list than it is for phytoestrogens so this makes iodine the mineral iodine noteworthy because it increases progesterone production in the body okay number four iodine triggers cell cycle differentiation this is important because cancer cells typically display characteristics of undifferentiated cells. Five, iodine also decreases peroxidation of lipids, which are oil-soluble compounds like fatty acids and oil-soluble hormones. So basically, iodine is acting like an antioxidant. In case you're wondering which hormones are fat-soluble, here's a short list. Estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol, and aldosterone are all fat-soluble um, hormones. Okay, six, iodine is also concentrated in breast milk because it's important to newborns, which we'll talk about in a little more detail here in a minute. Seven, in human breast cancer cell lines, molecular iodine inhibits the induction and proliferation of breast cancer cells. It induces cell death, that's also known as apoptosis, and it displays antioxidant activity. Okay, and that's just what iodine does for your breast. Moving on to iodine and ovarian health. Several studies show that the symptoms of polycystic ovarian syndrome, also known as PCOS, are relieved by supplementing with iodine. So namely, iodine helped restore normal menstruation, and this is uh, in these studies in women with PCOS. Now, restoring normal menstrual cycles is something that iodine is cited to help with regardless of whether you have PCOS or not. The reason that iodine helps with this may be that subclinical or undiagnosed hypothyroidism is present in women with irregular menstrual cycles. It just hasn't been diagnosed yet. Aside from your thyroid, your ovaries actually contain the most um, are the highest levels of iodine in your body. It appears that your ovaries are able to convert T4, a thyroid hormone, to T3, another thyroid hormone. For all women out there who are pregnant, want to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding, iodine deficiency is also linked to abnormal fetal development and um, abnormal mental development of babies, toddlers, and children. We'll talk about that more here in a minute. Let's talk first about iodine and testicular health because if you got a guy you love, they need iodine too. And in Haines' epidemiologic follow-up study found that men with the highest ratio of urinary iodine to creatinine had nearly a 30% reduced risk of prostate cancer compared with men with the lowest ratio of iodine to creatinine in their urine. A history of thyroid disease doubled the risk of prostate cancer in guys. And men who'd had thyroid disease for more than 10 years had over three times an increased risk of prostate cancer. Men who are treated with radioactive iodine for thyroid cancer tend to experience problems with sperm damage, and that's directly related to the dose of radioactive iodine that's received during the course of treatment. Iodine and skin health. Iodine and I, 
and iodine, sorry, let me start over. Okay, so iodine and iodine-containing compounds are commonly used as topical antiseptics in preparation for surgery. Because iodine can cause a rash in people who are sensitive to these iodine-containing compounds, and that rash looks a lot like acne, iodine is blamed for being the reason why dairy contributes to acne. At least it's one of the reasons. Not all papers say this. However, it's one of the prevalent theories. Now, the reason, like the, the, the whole idea behind this is that cows get iodine from salt blocks. Um, I didn't look into this on whether or not those salt blocks actually contain iodized salt or regular, or whether it's non-iodized salt. Um, so anyways, I haven't, I haven't confirmed that to know if, you know, we can just blow that right out of the water. Cow's milk, like human breast milk, also concentrates iodine. Additionally, um, so the antiseptic that's used to rinse the cow's udders, it's common for those antiseptics to contain iodine, and that may be another source of iodine in dairy. Now, here's the thing. For sensitive individuals, iodine-containing compounds cause an acne-like rash, that appears rapidly upon exposure to the iodine-containing compound. It's not acne. It's an allergic reaction. Back in 1961, researchers took a look at adolescents who ate a diet rich in seafood. So these these teens were consuming seafood and, sorry, they, they ate a diet rich in iodine. So they were eating diets rich in seafood and um, and fish. And the researchers found lower rates of acne in those teens compared to like the normal population that was included in this study. To be fair, the omega-3s that were found in that are found in fish are also therapeutic for acne. So it's not just based on this one study, it's not really possible to say that iodine helps with acne. It's definitely worth noting that there are iodine receptors in your epidermis. Um, just kind of a random note, just throwing this in here. It's totally out of place in um, where iodine is in your body, but like I say, it's just a random note. Before 1980, iodine was used as a dough conditioner in baked goods. Iodine in bread was replaced with bromide, which is another halogen that competes with iodine receptors in your body. Potassium bromate, the specific compound used for bread making, is outlawed in Europe. So for anyone who's ever been to Europe and eaten bread just fine, even when you have a sensitivity here in the States, this may be part of the reason. Because anything that, so bromide, fluoride, chloride, or bromine, fluorine, chlorine, those all three can displace iodine in your body. And so they can result in kind of a hypothyroid state, even if it's transient. Um thought this was really interesting. I believe they're still using iodine in the EU. Okay, back over to the back over to the conversation. Um, iodine and fetal development. If you're pregnant, your fetus needs thyroxine from you for normal development. So one of those thyroid hormones. Significant iodine deficiency and hypothyroidism during pregnancy can cause growth abnormalities neurological defects, and retardation in newborns. Additionally, low iodine levels during breastfeeding are associated with eczema in babies. 
iodine and brain function, including ADHD. Iodine is linked with IQ and ADHD. One study found that children with urinary iodine levels above 100 micrograms per liter have a significantly higher IQ compared with children who have urinary iodine levels below 100 micrograms per liter. Another study evaluated psychomotor development relative to free thyroxin levels. Children born to mothers with a free thyroxin level in the bottom 25th percentile had more than double the risk of developmental delay at 18 and 24 months. Of children diagnosed with ADHD, about 64% were born to mothers who had become hypothyroid during early gestation. Iodine intake and other bodily functions. Your circulatory system also needs iodine. One study that was conducted in mice evaluated the effects of iodine intake on triglyceride and cholesterol levels. This study found that iodine deficiency correlated with higher low-density lipoproteins, and low-density lipoproteins are LDL, the bad cholesterol, higher triglyceride levels, and higher total cholesterol. A second group of mice in this study were fed a diet with an excess of iodine. After eight months, the females in that group had lower total cholesterol levels and the males in that group had lower triglyceride levels than in the iodine deficient group. A correlation, which again is not evidence of causation, has also been noted between incidence of stomach cancer and um, the dietary iodine levels. As dietary iodine goes up, incidence of stomach cancer goes down. One more note, kind of circling back around to cholesterol, because iodine acts as an antioxidant and cholesterol is another like fat soluble, at least hormone precursor, you can think of it as a hormone also in your body. Um, because of that, the iodine likely is helping protect circulating LDL and HDL within the body. And I've come across a few papers recently that have said it's not necessarily high LDL is, is the problem. It's actually high oxidized LDL is the problem. And iodine would protect the LDL against um, oxidation. So how much iodine should you take? The Food and Nutrition Board recommends 150 micrograms per day for adults. Almost double that is recommended for pregnant women and lactating women. Now, the population of Japan consumes nearly 100 times the RDA for iodine and has a low incidence of hypothyroidism and breast cancer. Studies using 3 to 6 milligrams, which is 20 to 40 times the recommended daily allowance of iodine, effectively treated fibrocystic breast disease. And of course, there's links to all these articles over in today's show notes. It's unclear whether the iodine intake in that study was consumed daily or whether it was consumed over a duration of days or weeks. Like, in other words, if it was given as a bolus um, on a daily basis of between three migs and six migs, or if it was, um, you know, doled out in, in smaller amounts. Okay, so... I just wanted to put my two cents in, um, in very, 
if, if, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. So glad you're here to give you a little bit of an idea about my perspective on the world. I see everything through an, um, evidence-based lens. And so when I'm speaking specifically, like to me, the strongest evidence is what has happened to me. And you may feel the same way, like the strongest evidence for what is, for what you know is something that has physically happened to you. And for me, just experiencing the shift and being able to correlate it directly with iodine, because again, I, this was the only modification I made was switching to a multivitamin that did not contain iodine. So it was just reducing from between 50% and 100% of my RDA to 0% at least supplemented and relying on food entirely for that. Um, and over the course of a month, one month, I developed a cyst in my breast. Um, this was ID on ultrasound as being cystic and it went away after I started supplementing with iodine. So currently I supplement with one tablet of iodine, 150 migs, um, from a whole food source. So it is a kelp tablet once a day. In addition, I also incorporate more sprinklings of seaweed on the top of like lunch and dinner. So, um, yeah, just again, this is for, this is, uh, I'm stuttering. I'm falling all over myself here. Okay, just wanted to share my own experience because this is something that is highly controversial and like you're you're likely in the boat where you've heard the opposite side where you should restrict your iodine intake. And after the additional research that I've done, like I think it is definitely critical for health in all aspects, like for holistic well-being, um, your body needs iodine. So that's my two, my two cents. Again, I'm not a medical doctor. Uh, I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. And, and so the information that I provide here is for informational use only. Please consult your healthcare provider before making any changes to your diet or supplements or pharmaceuticals. Next week, I'm so excited to welcome Von Kratzer onto the show. She's going to talk about all about fascial flossing. If the term fascial flossing or myofascial release is new to you, um, you're in good company. So I, I, while I've known about myofascial release, so this is where somebody else works on you and, and releases your fascia. Fascia is the fibrous network that envelops all of your muscles inside your body. And typically, like if you get tight it's actually might not be a muscle tightness it's probably a fascial tightness so while I was well aware of myofascial release where I'd go and have somebody work on me and release the fascia this concept of fascial flossing where you can do it at home on your own um, is something that's new to me in 2021 and Bon is phenomenal at guiding you through how to release your fascia in all parts of your body. And she also brings in, um, so she has quite a bit of knowledge in traditional Chinese medicine. And so she brings in how each of these um, fascial releases is helping to 
stimulate other parts of your body. So for instance, like some of these releases that you're doing in your legs are helping with your liver and your spleen. And um, yeah, so it's just, it's really amazing. Like it's entirely possible to go down the rabbit hole and an hour was not long enough to talk with her. I hope you'll join me for that conversation. Um, It seemed especially pertinent for right now as we're approaching the holidays and um, you may have holiday travel planned. And for that reason, it's always welcome to be able to do like some minimal movements. And, and here when I say minimal movements, I'm just thinking without a mat, like moving without a mat and be able to really make a huge difference in how your body feels and how much like un what is the opposite of tight? Um, just how loose and relaxed you can feel. Um, and just doing a few movements, taking a few minutes to do these fascial flossing techniques. I've fallen in love with them and I'm doing them at least once a week now. Um, so anyways, yes, please join me for that episode. There's also going to be a special discount for listeners at shared at the end of that one. All right. Uh, as always, if If you know somebody that would enjoy this episode, take a quick second, go ahead and hit that share button, send this over to them. And until next time, bye.